0: We are going to be looking at was just read for us. We're in Malachi chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, we'd love for you to be looking at that Malachi chapter 2. If you don't know where in the world Malachi is, that is the book right before Matthew. So you can usually thumb through and find Matthew. And if you catch Matthew, back up one and you're in, in the right spot. Now, uh, Malachi 2, it's an unfortunate chapter break because... It's not a new section, it's not a new question, it's not a new statement from God about a problem that, that they have, but it's a continuation of where it left off in the last paragraph. And you might remember, uh, if you were here last week in the, in the last paragraph, you have God describing to the people that they are refusing to honor him. And you might remember the people said, well, what do you mean? How are we not honoring you? And ultimately, it boiled down to the way of their worship. He observes that they had a heartless worship. They looked at being able to bring their sacrifices and coming to the altar and performing their acts of worship as a burden. It was tiresome. What a weariness this is. They would snort at it and go, oh, I can't believe that we have to do this. What a pain this is to have to worship and serve God. And with that attitude, God is condemning them and saying, this is your, your way of showing me honor. And of course, that's not honorable. Just as much as we illustrated, if you uh, husbands decide that you're going to, you know, give your wife flowers and you hand them a flower and go, well, I had to do it. So here it is. There's not a whole lot of honor, not a whole lot of love, not a whole lot of anything going on with that. And that's the way God perceived their worship is that if you come to to worship and your attitude is, well, I guess we have to, uh, I guess I got to do this. uh, What a pain, what a tiresomeness, what a weariness. Then God says there is no honor in what you're doing. Now, as chapter two begins, you'll notice he's still there in that topic because he begins with a little bit of a warning here and talking about how they needed to take this to heart. You'll notice In verse 2, he says, if you will not listen, if you will not take this to heart and give me the honor that I should receive. Remember, we noted that God says, I am a great God. I am a great king. I am worthy of your love. I am worthy of your worship. And so if you will not take this message to heart, if it won't change your behavior and cause you to think differently about me so that you will worship me from the heart and worship me with the kind of zeal that I'm looking for, then here's what's going to happen. Now, what's interesting about these nine verses in Malachi chapter two is I think in our way of thinking, the way that it's described, I would say, is backward in that. What we would typically do is probably say, "Okay, God describes their failure, number one. Number two is here's what he wanted. And then number three is here's the condemnation. And in this paragraph, he flips that over. He starts with the condemnation and then he says, here's what it should have been. And then he says, here's your problem. So as you go, as we go through this and you think, I feel like we're going backward. You're right. It feels like we're going backward because he's going to start off with, here's the problem. Here's what's going to happen to you. And then here's going to be what I expected. And then ultimately we will end the lesson looking at what they were doing wrong. And we will see the application for our lives in terms of how we need to honor God in regards to his instructions. And notice that it's given to us there in verse two, and he says, if you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Now, I think this is interesting that God says, this is all coming because of this heartless worship. If you don't care about me, if, I don't have enough concern in your life that you look at my worship and you look at my service as simply a weariness and a burden and, and what a trouble and what a problem. And I sure am exhausted by having to serve God. He says, here's what's going to happen. And he says, I'm going to curse you. Now, there's two things to think about with that, because I can be a little bit troubling that God says. You don't honor me the way that you should. I'm going to bring this curse upon you. Number one thing to think about is you remember that God is in a covenant relationship with Israel. And he absolutely clearly specified, here are all the blessings if you will serve me and love me and follow me. And here are all the curses that are going to come upon you if you don't love me and serve me and follow me. You have the book of Deuteronomy showing that all the blessings and curses of what was going to happen. And God is in covenant relationship with his people. And he's saying, if you don't want to be a part of this relationship and you don't want to belong to this covenant, then you are going to receive the curses that come from that. But one of the things that I really want us to think about in terms of, of these curses is that this is very much a simple result of not choosing God, of not choosing to honor him. Sometimes I think we we fail to, to recognize that what God is trying to show us is that when you don't choose him as your primary love and priority, there are natural consequences that will come from that. I'll use the New Testament to to back up this idea. I want you to notice that in in Romans chapter one and in verse 21 and in this section, Paul begins to describe a lot of the, the consequences of sin. But before he does that, I want you to notice how he introduces that paragraph in Romans one and verse 21. He says that although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks. I always find this passage fascinating. I want to preach this text again one day. Who knows when? Not enough time to preach sermons. That he says this all begins. Because the people did not honor. Or give him thanks. Which is what we're talking about in Malachi. You have a people who are saying oh yeah. yay, God but. There's no honor, there's no thanksgiving, there's no devotion, there's no heart, there's no concern. And notice he begins this by saying, they didn't honor me as as God, they didn't thank me as God. And notice there are results that come out of this. Already right here in verse 21 it says, they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Notice there's a result that comes from not honoring God. It's going to change the way you think, and it's not for the better, it's for the worse. The way you look at life, the way you look at the world, the way you look at relationships, the way you look at people is going to be broken. It's going to be futile. It's going to be foolish. It's going to be darkened. In fact, keep listening to how he just keeps describing that a few verses later. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Again, a describing of the reality that comes from not honoring God. Same thing two verses after that. For this reason, God gave them up to their dishonorable passions. You don't honor God and give thanks. Here are consequences that come from that. Two verses after that. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind and to do what ought not to be done. What I want you to see, first of all, is the Apostle Paul saying, if you don't honor God and give him thanks, your life is going to go the wrong direction. And it's going to lead to all kinds of sins, all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of problems. Your mind is going to be darkened. Your ways are going to be futile. You aren't going to see the world rightly. It's going to be backward, and you're going to be darkened in your foolish heart, and that's why you're going to make all of these bad decisions. is essentially where this goes, and I don't have time to do Romans 1 as much as I would really like to, but that's the big summary of where that's all going, is you didn't honor God, and your life then turns into this ultimate disaster. And I want you to notice there's something... Repeated in each of those spots. God gave them up. Here's God saying. You don't want to honor me or give me thanks. Then you're going to have the natural outcome of that. I'm going to let you go the path that you want to go. You want to go that road. You can go that road. You don't want to honor me. That's a whole nother path and you can go that path. But I want you to hear something. It's a cursed life. It's a sin laden life. It's a difficult life. It's not the life that God wants you to have. And that's so much of the picture of what God is trying to communicate. If I can just say it this way in, in summary, not honor honoring God. Sets us on the course of destruction. Is that like the book of Proverbs in a nutshell? Yeah. Probably the book of Ecclesiastes as well. There's a lot of places where God is saying, you want to go your own path. You can go your own path, but you're going to wreck yourself. You're not going to have the life that I want you to have. If you refuse to honor me, that's fine. But you're going to see what's going to happen if you do that. And that's where Malachi is right now. Is he's prophesying to the people, God is saying, "You think my worship is a burden? You think it's a pain? You just want to give me the leftovers. You don't really care about me? Then just watch what kind of life happens. You just see where that takes you. You see what it's like to not honor me? You just watch where that goes. You are setting your life on a course of destruction." And I think that's why you could have the wording in verse two when he says the curse is going to come upon you and I'll curse your blessings. Indeed, I've already cursed you. You're you're already experiencing this. You're already having your life collapse around you because you're not choosing me. You're not seeking me. And there's natural consequences that come from that. I was just illustrating this with the kids using Isaiah 55 in the morning Bible class. And I always use the idea of the owner's manual of your car. If you willfully choose to not follow the directions of the owner's manual, how do you think that's going to go for your vehicle? Just don't change the oil. Just Don't do any service whatsoever. Just never touch it. Just don't do a thing to it. Can I use the wording like this? The manufacturer of your car is going to give you over... To however that plays out. Because you can't come to the manufacturer and say, you made a bad car. No, 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 no. (laughs) You didn't do what you were supposed to do. (laughs) You you can't put that on me. You didn't listen to what it said. You didn't do what it told you to do. You could have had a great vehicle if you would have done what it said. But we gave you over and you chose to go that way. That's all God is saying here is, is you're choosing your own path. You're throwing away what God wants for your life if you don't listen to him or even honor him. That's this whole section of Malachi 2. You just won't even honor me. You won't even give me thanks. You won't even point to me and see me as the most valuable thing. I want you to see one other important part of this. Not only are you destroying your life, which is being pictured, but I want you to observe verse 3. here too. two Amazing things about verse three. He says there in verse three, "I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and so you shall be taken away with it." All right, two things. One. All right, Vicky says, "Gross." Yeah, I know. That's not. Ooh. <laughs> Here, how does God think of our worship? If we come to him with our heartless leftovers of we don't care. Here's God going uh, in terms of their day and time. They're, remember, they're bringing the broken, lame animals that they didn't want. They're coming to the altar and saying, here, I didn't want it anyway. I guess God, that God's worthy of that. I'll give that to him. And here's God saying, so this word is an interesting word because it's like the dung and the entrails and all the things that you got rid of from the animal before you offered it up. So like all that gross stuff. He says, I'll take all of that and wipe that on your faces. Here's what I think about your offering. Gross. <laughs> he looks at our worship and goes, it's gross to me. You know how many times we look at God and we go, oh, he'll like anything we give him, right? And here, here's God going, it's vile to me. It's gross to me. But I want you to look at something really carefully. Who does he say he's rebuking in verse three? kind of surprising he doesn't say i rebuke you and i'm going to put all that dung on your faces i'm rebuking your offspring have you ever noticed that essentially heartless worship is contagious notice he's pointing out the problem is not with you alone But you've taught your children to treat me the same way. You've taught them to be just as heartless in their worship as you yourselves were. You've taught them to just give me the leftovers. You've taught them to act this way. You've made them believe that I'm not worthy of your worship, of your priority, of your effort or your time. You've taught your children that worshiping the Lord is a weariness and a burden and tiresome, and we are tired of doing it. That's contagious. Not only contagious to one another, but that is taught to our children. Friends, and we act like our worship is tiresome and a weariness, that it's something that we have to do. We're teaching our children to act the exact same way. We're going to be so surprised that they don't look at God with love and devotion. If we haven't shown an extreme love and devotion to God, they're going to mirror that very thing. If we have a spiritual apathy and a laziness toward God, they're going to adopt the same characteristics. If we teach our children. That our comforts, our sleep, our hobbies, our recreation, our entertainment, our jobs, our career, our sports, our cares are more important than the things of God or than having a heart for God. We are dooming them. And that's what verse three says. Here's God saying, I know I'm going to rebuke your offspring because your spiritual laziness has been transmitted to them. And I'm going to wipe dung on their faces because they're going to behave just like you. Well, we don't understand what we are communicating to future generations. When we look at God as an obligation, as a weariness, as something that has to be done, when there's not a priority and a fire and a zeal and a love for him, we're communicating all that to our kids. And here is God saying, guess what's going to happen? Your offspring are not going to be any better off. They're going to be under the curse as well. And any good parent, if there's anything that you ever think about in your life about your child, is you are hoping that they will do far better than you. And God says that won't even be possible. Because you didn't show them the love and the honor and the thanks that I deserve. They're going to go down the same path as you. And so he warns them that they taught them to honor everything else but God, and therefore they will be judged along with them. I don't know if there's—I don't—I don't have time, but nothing more chilling to think that my children's spirituality could be doomed because of my failure. Amen. That is frightening, and that's what he just told them. You just put your children. In a difficult spot. And it's going to be hard for them to turn around because you showed them the wrong way. That's his first warning. Now, what should it have been? Look at verse four. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts, my covenant with him was one of life and peace and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many from iniquity for the lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger Of the Lord of hosts. You'll notice after giving the condemnation, he says, Here's what it should have been. Here is the expected ideal. And what a picture that he says. He says, Now, do you know what my covenant was that I made? You know, this covenant that I made with Levi, this covenant that I gave through to Israel, this was a covenant of life and peace. All right, take a step back. How many people read? the old covenant scriptures and go, that was a covenant of life and peace. And God says, that's what it was. What I gave was a covenant of life and peace. And friends, I hope that we would look at God's instructions that way because that's not the way they looked at it. How did they look at what they had to do? Oh, what a tiresome thing. Oh, these these laws, oh, this covenant, oh, these rules, all these things that we have to do. God goes, no, I gave you a covenant that was to give you peace and life. It was good for you. Oh, But how often do we look at God's word and we look at God's instructions, we look at God's covenant and we think it's not instructions of life and peace, but instructions of pain and suffering. Oh, the things that we have to do. Oh, the things that we can't do. And God is trying to say to you, I'm giving you a covenant of life and peace. I'm trying to give you what will be best for you. Do we look at God's covenant? And do we look at God's laws that way? Do we see his instructions as life-giving or burdensome? I think it's sad that the religious world for the longest time just continues to paint God and his instructions as a pain and a burden. Something that has to be done. Just put up with it and hope you get to heaven and it'll be worth it. God never says that. God never says, I hope you put up with my rules because it'll be worth it in eternity. He always says, I'm trying to give you life now. I'm trying to give you joy now. I'm trying to set you on the best path now. Do you think the, your car manufacturer with their owner's manual, what they sit around doing is trying to figure out how to torture you with all the things you have to do to that vehicle? Let's see what terrible things we could come up with. Oil changes every three to six months. That'll really get them. Oh, man, that'll just, what a pain that'll be. Huh? No, that's for the good of the vehicle. These things are for your good. Not for your torment, not for your pain, not for your torture, for the good life. And he's saying this was the ideal. I gave you a covenant of life and peace. And notice the description that was given about what the priests of God were supposed to do. He says, my priests, they were supposed to show me reverence. Awe and respect and fear. They stood before me in that place and they were walking with me in peace and righteousness and uprightness. True instruction was to be on their lips and they were supposed to speak knowledge to the people. You have to love the wording when it says there in verse seven, people should seek instruction from his mouth. Do you get a sense of why Jesus was so upset when he came? And you have the religious leaders and teachers and scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees. And he's looking at them and going, where was all this? They're not showing a reverence for God. True instructions not on their lips. They're not speaking knowledge to the people. Remember, he says, you're causing people to turn away from God. You're not leading people to the covenant of life and peace. You're blocking them from finding it. And you could hear Jesus saying those very things to the people. And one does not have to stretch your imagination today to think about what Jesus would say to our religious world. (laughs) How similar the message would have to be. The teaching is supposed to turn people from sin, not encourage them in it. The, the, the teaching is supposed to preserve the knowledge of god not distort the knowledge of god the, the teaching is supposed to instruct the people not entertain the people and scratch their ears and make them feel happy the whole point is simply proclaim the word so that the people can enjoy the life and the peace of god that was the whole point do your job that's the ideal the priests were supposed to speak the words of God. And by doing so, the people would be able to enjoy a covenant of life and peace with God. All right, that sets us up to the failure. Doesn't it make you wonder how the people got to this point? God says, I've always loved you. And the people go, How have you loved us? God says, you don't honor me. And they're saying, what do you mean we don't honor you? We give you our broken, lame sacrifices every day. What do you mean? How did they get to the point of heartless worship and not caring and loving God? How did it get there? Look at verse eight. But you've turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by your instruction You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I will make you despised and abased before all the people. Inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. What a statement. What's the problem? How did the people get here? The people got to this point because they were stumbling Because of the instruction of the priests, it's it's just head scratching and mind blowing. I, I read this and I thought in simple terms, you had one job, you had one job, teach the people the knowledge of God, accurately represent who God is and communicate his message. You had one job, priests, and you failed to do it. That's why they're not honoring God. That's why they're not worshiping him. That's why they're questioning his love. That's why they don't understand who he is. That's why they look at worship and go, oh, what a weariness is because the glory of God had not been communicated sound teaching and who he was and what he expected had not been taught. That's verse eight. You speaking to the priest, you've turned aside from the way and have caused many to stumble. You have failed. You have absolutely failed. In showing and communicating the simple job of who God is and what he wants for us to do. You might remember the Apostle Paul gave a very similar charge. As he wrote to Timothy in his final letter. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ who is the judge of the living and the dead. And by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teacher to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I want us to think about how he words this because I like how the New Revised Standard states this proclaim the message, be persistent whether the time is favorable or not. Teach even if it's not a favorable time. You have to communicate God's message and God's word and who God is even if people don't like it. And notice that's the essence of what the very next verse is. The very next verse is, you know what's going to happen, Timothy? Paul says, people are going to come along and what they're going to do is that they're not going to want to listen to what God says and what the word of God says. What they're going to want to do is follow their own desires and they're going to find teachers who confirm their own desires and tell them that they're fine. That's verse 3. I know nothing, but we've changed so much in 2000 years. I mean, what a prophetic word that was. This is human nature. We don't want to listen to what God says. We want to do what we want to do. And we will find somebody to tell us that we're doing just fine. That's what they wanted in Malachi's day. In fact, I would make the point. Why do you think the priests were not giving the instructions? Because the people didn't want to hear it. It's hard to be a priest and live off the offerings that the people are giving if they don't like what you're teaching. (laughs) So we'll tell them what they want to hear. Then they'll be happy to give their animals and then we'll have our livelihood. Same thing. Here's what I want you to hear with this. The goal is not to teach people what they want to hear. That's not the goal. The goal is not to tell people, here's what you need, want to hear. Everybody feel good. Everybody high-five. We could do that every Sunday. Wouldn't that be fun? Y'all come in here. Yay, Jesus. We love Jesus. High-five, sing a song, go home. Yay, Jesus. Yeah. Easy, right? But the goal is to say, Here's who God is, and here's what He teaches. Not merely what we want to hear. Friends, I hope that we will always have a heart like you see in John 12, where you have these Greeks, amazingly, in the gospel account, Greeks. And they come to the disciples, and they have one very simple, clear request and concern. We want to see Jesus. That's all that we're concerned about. We want to see Jesus. Amazing, Gentiles are coming and saying, we have one concern. We want to know God. We want to know Jesus. We want to see him. That's the most important thing. That's the only thing. Is that that would be our greatest desire. And friends, may we not allow ourselves to fall victims to our fleshly desires to want to hear what we want to hear and do what we want to do, but that we want the word of God line by line, no matter how uncomfortable it makes us. We want to hear what God says. And here is God telling these priests, you failed. Because you didn't tell the people, here's God's word. Now, I want to take this lesson and push it one dimension further for you. Because we would be accurate to say, okay, let's end the lesson. Yep, you need to make sure you teach the word. It needs to be what you're doing. And we need to be listeners of it. And that's all well, true and good. But I want to remind you of something that the New Testament says. There's no New Testament passage that says, I'm your priest and you guys are the congregation. The New Testament says we are all priests. We have the responsibility that Malachi 2 is talking about. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You're the holy nation. You're the people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So what I'm going to do as we end is I'm going to take the slide back from a couple slides ago that said, here's the ideal of what the priests were supposed to be. And we're going to put that on ourselves. Number one, the priests were supposed to show fear and reverence and awe for God. That was their job. They were supposed to hold him in highest honor and high regard because he is a great God. Number two, they were supposed to walk with God in peace and uprightness. They were supposed to learn God's word and do what it says and walk with him in that covenant relationship. Number three, he said true instruction was to be on their lips. And can I bring in Second Timothy 4? Whether the time is favorable or not. True instruction is supposed to be on our lips whether the time is favorable or not. And finally, number four, we speak God's knowledge to the people, not just what they want to hear. We have to represent God to the world. And as God's priests to the globe around us, I will end with just a simple question. If we don't show Jesus in our teaching and in our lives, who will? If they don't get true instruction from us, where will it come from? If they don't see God's knowledge in us, then where will it come from? And we will be just as condemned as the people of Malachi's day. Let's go to God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this powerful picture that reminds us of who we are before you. And Lord, we pray that we would live as your priests, that we would be people who are reflecting your light and your glory to the world so that the knowledge of you is shared to the world around us, And that we, through that reflecting light, are bringing people to you. God, forgive us when we have failed in the mission. And Lord, forgive us. Because when we look at your worship and your ways as a weariness, how could we ever convince the world to come to you? Lord, help us to be your holy people. Help us to proclaim your excellencies, whether the time is favorable or not. And help us to speak all of your truth, whether it is something that people want to hear or not. Give us that boldness and give us the courage and give us the love that we need to reach into the lives of people around us. So that we can be the priest that you have called us to be, Lord, thank you for your Son, and help us to see the mission that if we don't speak your Son to the world, then who's going to hear it? We pray this through your Son, our Savior Jesus. Amen. Amen. Singing invitation song, we invite you to come to Jesus tonight, today. If you have not, um, if you have not been living the way you know you should, if you have not been giving your life to Jesus fully, today's the day to do that, to turn away from sin, to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins, but perhaps more accurate to the lesson today, if your life has not been God-honoring, today's the day to change. Would people look at us and say, yeah, that's a God-honoring life by what they say and what they do. I definitely see God in them because that's the mission. That's the job. That's who we're supposed to be. And if we can say honestly, that has not been the case, do something today about it. Make the change today. Get right with God today. Repent of those sins and live to the mission of what God has given you to do. And We would love to help you do any of those things to get your life right with God, would you let us know? You can come forward to talk to us afterward while we stand and while we sing.